girl trouble. I know what you're going to say. Girl trouble. A young thing sneaker in crumpled sock glimpsed in a mudroom and boing, the boy is gone on the titanic love boat death wish of imaginary gratification. Well, that's just not the case here. And anyway, the very notions of girl and boy, the pink and blue cultural commodities are all too rapidly replaced by bitter A and bitter B before these infantile players ever survive the holocaust of American adolescence. Why should I care which way the wind blows when all I care about is how it vents my stateroom? Old man came and was speaking to me again. He feared, I believe, he would be forced by circumstances to remain aboard our vessel for the duration of our cruise. And in fact, he did. Only death would have separated him from his dear Nanette, and she had found quite a few things to pique her interest. But she was the one, I think, who made him stay. It was for his health, she said. Now there was an empty set. She once said to me, Do you need something for the pain? Because if you do, really, Ernest sounds just like... No, not sounds like. I mean, has access to the most outrageous collection of drugs. And she was right. I saw it myself. He later suggested that perhaps I had helped myself to something that wasn't mine, but I know for certain it was the purser, Fredo Summerhill, because, well, never mind. This time he had some screwball idea about mercury vapor autos to be made of a super lightweight titanium alloy yet to be developed. Light bulbs for cars, he'd say. Highway light bulbs. All conduits will be flexible and uniform. All connections will be self-locking and easy release. After the manufacturing process, there will be no further maintenance involved. All a mechanic needs to carry is his toothbrush. I, of course, thought him absolutely mad, with that madness absolutely unique to the small workshops of suburban North America. We were gazing out to sea, leaning on a stretch of starboard rail. But do you know what the key is? The hard science? he asked me earnestly. No, what? I ventured. A better physical description of light, he answered. A new conception. Maybe it's in lasers, I suggested wanly. I'm sure he intended it to be something comparable to the discovery of Sumerian batteries in Iraq in 1936. No, not there. That's just a feat. There's no new conception there. But we have started, haven't we? I wanted to say, who we? But instead I said, have we? And he said, why, us, of course, you and I. That's where all great ideas get off the ground, when two people get together in a face-to-face -face interchange. I assured him I had no competence and little interest in the field he had chosen for our dialogue. 
I suggested that perhaps the first mate or even the telegraph ensign would pull more weight with his sphere of activity. I couldn't think of anything less appetizing than collaboration with his sort. Oh, no, 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 he concluded. I need somebody like you, happy-go-lucky. Anyway, we're only a Chinese puzzle away from a solution. He seemed to want me to think about it, silly dreamer. But for the life of me, I could not remember what it was, a Chinese puzzle. The only picture which came to my mind was a child poised before a television screen. I just know if you scratched him deeply, there would be a stark, raving bourgeois humanist. I'd certainly gotten myself into a pickle with these two. I sought now to avoid them at every turn, but they were hunting me like a mama and papa armadillo after some tiny spider in the spines of the sweet mezcal plant. Can you blame me? My God, they were even more demanding than I. For instance, I'd be in the billiards room and they'd find me out there. Nanette would hoist a shapely hip upon the table. She was quite well put together despite her age, and bid us boys shoot about her with our sticks. Such a lovely body on such an old hag, almost youthful, and he'd run on oblivious, building elaborate puns or forecasting market movements and trends intangibles. Anything to escape, I'd say to myself. I'd talk and talk and do impersonations and the horrible snit I'd be left with after each encounter. And still they did not stop. I was on deck once, throwing the black slug, as they say in showbiz, into this ghastly and nightmarish soup they call my life when came and came up behind me, saying, Well, well, here we are, and he clapped me on the back quite painfully and intoned, Des, my boy, I guess it's potbelly or hunchback for you. It's true I'd been indulging in a slouched posture when he approached, leaning over the rail the way one must, and I straightened right up. And then he hit my left arm with the knuckle of his crooked-over right index finger directly between my deltoid muscle and the head of my biceps. Hickory dickory dock, he chimed. The mouse ran up the clock. What time is it? He grinned, feigning sociability. It just happened to be eight bells or whatever navy time, but I said one, playing his silly game, hoping for some respite from his aggression. That's right, he'd assure me. You're a regular whiz kid. It's a wonder I didn't develop character armor or something worse being around him all the time. I'd turn to face him through this volley of punches only to find his face twisted up into a hideous mockery of a grin. He'd say, Watch my face. I'm going to change my mind. It was impossible to talk to him. He just wouldn't listen. And then he'd add in his dreadful monotone, All I'm asking from you is the motivating simplicity you understand. Nothing fancy pants. And then he'd saunter off down the deck singing, Free of disease, free of disease, a monkey died for me. It's really too bad, don't you think? I mean, I don't think he was another Howard Head or Edwin Lear or Hughes Tool or those people in Outer Space Incorporated. No big genius inventor slash Ivan the Terrible to tear holes in the fabric of business as it is done today. Believe me, I tried to be polite. 
I imagine also, as a person who cares about people, I felt a very real sympathy for his condition, he being so queer and alone. One more thing about the trip down to the Cape. Old man came and began spending more and more of his time, finally whole days at a stretch, holed up in his suite, unfit for human company. According to Nanette, he fell first into a sulk, and then into a fit of reckless wantonness of which she would be the unfortunate object. She told me in great detail how he would force her to parade about their room for what seemed hours in various sexual accessories available in any large department store. And high-heeled shoes, of course. All those things that should have gone out with the wheel as a medium of communication. And then he would seek to bespot her in the most humiliating fashion. From here it was not far to a sort of demented schizoid catatonia into which he would often sink. In this state he was really only a jazzed-up stinky vegetable who could do little more than read the newspaper, smoke a smelly cigar, and telex his broker. When he was, as previously described, confined, his wife and I would stroll about the decks, sometimes arm in arm, perhaps shuffleboarding or stopping in the lounge for a drink, going to the kitchen for a tea in the warm rain which often washed us. She would clutch at my right arm and lean her little head against my shoulder. Considering the wet spray, there was nothing unusual about this sort of physical contact. Oh, Des, she'd say, this is so civilized. And sometimes she'd walk me to my cabin and have me remove all my wet clothing behind a screen before tucking me into bed and sitting on the edge of the coverlet. It was all I could do sometimes to avoid the danger of a certain intimacy. She'd lean close to my ear in the most conspiratorial manner and whisper, Oh, Des... I wish sometimes, crazy as it sounds, that we were married, lived together, did everything together. But we aren't, darling, and we never will be. And you know, Des, I'm worried. I'm very terribly worried. And what, pray tell, worries you, Nanette? I'd whisper in return. And she'd pause and draw back, fixing me with her little eyes. About him, of course. I feel I must save you from his wrath. He can be absurdly violent and cunning when he feels himself crossed. Save me from his wrath, I exclaimed. I can't imagine anyone saving me from anything. What a silly notion, Nanette. And I'd roll myself over, hoping she'd be moved to massage my lower back my sciatica having flared some. But she became abstracted and spoke no further words. In a moment she stood up and we'd part in a flurry of little smacky kisses. I'd read, then, waiting to fall into my disturbed sleep. But deep in my heart I too was now worried. But just a tad. Of course, some people will whisper of sublimated sexual urges, etc., but I won't have any of that ruining my social life. 
I will go whither I would with whomever takes my fancy, regardless of common gossip and restless slander. Well, old man came and must have been reading the wind with his finger, for he was on me with renewed fervor the very next day. After some inanities about the weather and the pummeling I had come to expect from him, he said in a rather matter-of-fact voice, Look, Farker, or whatever your name is, what kind of people do you come from? What kind of folks turn out a boy like you? You're not like any of our three kids. I began to speak rather quickly of my Uncle Lewis, my martyred father, my sainted though off-sullied mother, but he cut me off and said, Look, stay away from my wife. Lord, I was shocked. And my first thought was that he must be horrid with anger. I was totally taken aback by what he had said, almost knocked overboard by the violence of his suggestion. Not that he seemed upset in any way. In fact, he was calm. He was still smiling. Then, seeing the shock of consternation, I'm sure, across my face, he attempted to indicate his jocular intention by cuffing me behind the elbow of my left arm. His touch must have shocked me, for I blurted, I am not just another piss-ass faggot to boss around, misunderstanding him apparently, for he immediately corrected me. That's pick-ass, Des, you must understand, and then he made an obscene gesture, tweezing together his thumb and forefinger and abstracting from his buttocks. I like you, he continued. You're an intelligent guy. No offense intended. I am intelligent. That's true, I stammered, thinking perhaps a note of sincerity would crack his shell somewhat. But he was a harder nut than just common decency. He fixed me with his eyes and said as if he were talking to a child, Look, Bunny, I don't know about your father and mother, but I'll tell you something about here. You want to work or go fly a toy airplane? I'm asking you seriously. You listen to me. We ride fast, so you want a bite of the big red apple or do you want to sit in your chair and wait for the green light? What? Like I said, we go get dinner. You want something to eat, you help. If you're going to work here, you've got to know what I'm saying. His fixed smile was so disarming I didn't know what to say, much less what he had said. It must have had to do with the project he'd thought up for us. So you can see, by this time, I was already suffering from their never-ending conceit about themselves. And then he was gone down the deck, jumping up beside the hosspipe stanchion and clicking his heels. The sea was blowing up a bit, but we didn't need to worry since we were so close to safe harbor. Or so I thought. But how was I to take what he'd said to me? He couldn't be serious about me and his wife, no matter what she'd told him. And certainly that was no job offer, that babble about work and food. Then what did he mean? Surely he couldn't have thought my intentions in any way dishonorable. And besides, he hardly ever paid her any attention or catered to the more delicate side of her nature. On the whole, I thought him a rustic and a bore. I mean, could he have meant to say I shouldn't see her? Did he really expect me to respect so antique a personal prerogative as privacy?' 